morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the third and final hour. But don't worry, that's just of today. We have six more hours less for the week tomorrow and Friday of the Live With Me Rank Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as promised, and I really appreciate it, online with us, very shortly will be Congressman Peter Meyer. I first reached out to him the other day concerning the recommendation that the Battle Creek Veterans Administration Medical Center be shut down. Now, obviously, it's going to take some time before that happens. And he currently is in the district or Battle Creek VA is in the district that he serves. It won't be at the end of the year. He is moving to the new third district, which is basically east of Grand Rapids to some way, uh, point west all the way to Lake Michigan. But he is currently the congressman in the area where, or I should say the district is his district that the Battle Creek VA Center is in. So I wanted to get his thoughts on that. And it just happens that he, just an hour and a half ago, came off of a Zoom call with the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, him, I assume, uh, pleading with the U.S. government to give more, including the no-fly zone. And that's something that Congressman Meyer can uh, update us on and a couple things else that will come from that. So let's welcome to the Live with Rang Show, Congressman Peter Meyer. Good morning, Congressman. Welcome, and thank you very much. I know you guys are pretty busy these days. No, thank you for having me on, Rank. Always a pleasure. Now, I, as I stated, I reached out to you first because currently and right now the Battle Creek VA is in your district. It won't be at the end of this year. It'll be in the new 4th District, which will, if a Republican wins, it'll be Heisinga or possibly Upton if he runs. We'll find out if he'll run or not. Uh, but that being said, what is it? And I know you're a freshman congressman, but you're you're a quick study. I know. What is it that someone in your position, either now, can start laying down a foundation to uh, see if that's really something that needs to occur or not, and then someone else will pick up the ball after that, whoever wins the fourth district. Yeah. Well, just by way of background, so. Uh, we learned the same time as, as the public learned uh, about this recommendation, which was part of the Veterans Administration's Infrastructure Commission review. Uh, so they essentially look at the full scope of, of where VA facilities are located. They look at where veteran populations are located. Uh, they factor in the age of a facility, um, you know, what maintenance is required. Uh, and then that's where they, you know, go through a process of review. Now, uh, the VA has seen a shift in the veteran population moving from rural areas to more urban areas. You know, Michigan is no exception to this trend. Uh, and they also factor in just where, where population growth is today and where they forecast those needs will be increasing to make sure that where VA facilities are located is as well aligned or as closely aligned to serving the veteran population as possible. So that's just by way of background. We had no uh, foreknowledge. We had no, you know, uh, involvement in this process. This is what's occurring within the VA. And so their proposal was to relocate uh, the 
um, Battle Creek VA facility, you know, to something that's closer to Southern Grand Rapids. I believe Wyoming was the proposal um, partially to be closer to the center of gravity of the veteran population in West Michigan, uh, but also to have a bit better cross-pollination with what's going on in downtown Grand Rapids around the Medical Mile, uh, both for access to referral services and then also staff hiring and staff retention. So that's it from a 40,000 kind of uh, foot view. Now, well, uh, if we're, I may, we're trying if to get... I may, Congressman, Please. question. Do you, and again, I know you, this is, uh, you're on your second year being there, but, and I don't mean that <laughs> anything other than the longer you're there, you get a feel of things a little bit better. But do you feel that, uh, or do you trust that no political uh plays were involved in any of this, not just Battle Creek, but just the whole process by the VA? I mean, I think trust has to be earned. Um, In general, I don't think the VA has an incentive, a strong incentive one way or the other. Uh, I mean, especially when it's staying within the same state and, you know, geographically the shift is, you know, about an hour's drive time. Uh, There's not necessarily one significant you know, I, I think sometimes you can see political considerations coming in if it's the, you know, ranking member or the chair of the veteran, uh, the House Veterans Affairs Committee, right? And they may be able to put some influence, you know, put a thumb on the scale around the margins. Um, again, my my understanding is that these are pretty regular reviews that are being done, and so I guess if we if there is any indication of anything untowards or improper, uh, then that's certainly something of concern. Well, Generally speaking. Go ahead. Who has the last, uh, who approves this? So where does it go from here? Do you know? Uh, You know, my expectation is that, you know, this is going to be, uh, these are long-term forecasts, right? right? This is not something where they make the determination a facility shuts down tomorrow, right? This is, uh, they put it up for public comment. They'll put it up for, you know, additional review. I personally want to see what data they're basing this off of. Um, because again, if, if there's a required shift in order to better serve the veterans community, you know, that is something that we have to take into consideration. We also have to take into consideration what the negative impact would be on the Battle Creek area and on veterans who are in the Battle Creek area. And, and what would that, how do we offset, you know, if this is a proposal that ends up being, um, you know, go to fruition, which, you know, I, I have no understanding right now. We, are putting in requests for information, but you know we also we saw this at the same time as the public did of what the time horizon looks like. Are we talking, you know, three years? Are we talking five years? Is this ten years? Is this twenty years? Right. That sense of what that arc, what that horizon is for a decision to be made. So I expect that there will be hearings uh, within the House Veterans Affairs Committee. I expect that there will be that open comment period where folks from West Michigan can also submit. You know, their thoughts, their concerns, you know, if this is something that would be beneficial or if it's something that would be detrimental, you know, that ability to have that be expressed and make sure that all voices are heard in this decision making process. But in the end, when it's all settled, who signs off on this? The VA, the president, you guys? It would be the secretary of the VA, um, who obviously reports to the president, uh, but then any budgetary decisions, you know, Congress holds the power of the purse. Uh, and so if there is something that's egregious or, you know, kind of beyond the pale, then there would be the ability, theoretically, uh, whenever this decision is to be made down the line, you know, for that to have some degree of congressional review. 
Great. And I heard you say, and I, and, and I agree, let's look at the data. Let's look at why they made this decision. What was blaring to me in the piece I wrote about it uh, was that they said that it is a very old um, building, which means it's more expensive to keep up. And you know what? I forgot the second part. I should have already had that. Oh, shame on me. I should have had that piece right here in front of me. And uh, I'll get to it right now. In the report, they say the Battle Creek VAMC was built in 31, 1931. The main hospital was mostly renovated in 93. The infrastructure does not meet current design standards 56 for modern healthcare. That was it. I don't know what that means. Is that, do you know what 50 standards 56 means? Is that a military term or? I don't, uh, I assume it's something that um, has to do with federal standards around, um, you know, you know, obviously we have building codes and, and right. those type of standards that are applied broadly. And I think hospital facilities and others that receive federal dollars have to meet certain, you know, standards and minimums uh, and whether, but I, I, do, I do not at this time. So that was blaring to me. On what was okay. And that was blaring to me that they say it doesn't meet these modern uh, healthcare standards and the, the age of the building and the cost. That's a big hill. That's a big hill to climb mm -hmm. is what I'm thinking. You uh, and I, I think you're right, are uh, saying let's look at the data. Is it better to move it to Wyoming because there's more of a population there? Uh, but then what do we do with the VA people? I, I've gotten many, many, many comments and, mm -hmm. and, and interest in this. What about the people who are here? How much farther do they have to travel? Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, so currently within the proposal, it's that – for those who are currently receiving services at the Battle Creek VA, uh, for whom you know getting to a, a future facility in Wyoming would be very challenging, there's an outpatient clinic uh, that would be you know renovated in Kalamazoo, so right. something still within you know the the, the Kalamazoo Calhoun you know area. Um, and I guess just by way of history, you know the the VA facility in Battle Creek was set up as the 100th VA hospital, and this is going back close to a century now, and it was when Fort Custer was an active military installation. So there was a lot of um, you know, benefit to that proximity uh, as it stands right now. But, you know, obviously over time with Fort Custer shifting to more of a National Guard you know, training facility with a lot of, you know, the Fort Custer area turning into an industrial park, you know, I think that's partially what spurred that review is, you know, if we bring this clinic up to standards or the VA medical facility in Battle Creek up to the standards that needs to be for and forecast those costs out for the next 25 or, or 50 years. You know, what are we looking at re relative to a newer facility that may be able to provide a higher quality of care for a lower cost? Um, and obviously making sure that we're acting in a fiscally responsible way is critical. And the, you know, the interesting part of this is that it's currently in your district. Now you're redistricted out of that area, and in the new district that you are, which is still going to be called the third district, is where Wyoming is. So it's coming to your district. So people may say there may be a conflict of interest there. I think the the time may solve that. What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I think even even in this scenario where that occurs, it would probably be so far down the line that I would have to make a lot of expectations about voter decisions going forward for, for many, many years to come. Uh, I will say that our commitment remains to serving, you know, the third district. And I hope to be able to announce, um, 
you know, at some point in the near future, but hopefully by the summer, a large initiative that would be a very large uh, employment opportunity for the Calhoun County area. So, you know, I had somebody say, well, this isn't going to be in your new district, so it doesn't help you. And I said, well, I, I frankly don't care. I mean, what we're trying to do is to serve the people who put us into office. That was what I was elected to do. That's where our focus is, uh, regardless of whether there's no political benefit down the line. I mean, that is separate from the role and responsibility of the office that I hold. All right, going to take a quick break. On air with us is Congressman Peter Meyer from Michigan's 3rd District. We're talking about the Battle Creek Veterans Administration's medical center that is recommended to be closed, although it'll be years down the line. I, I think uh, you've got a better understanding of the process of what's to happen moving forward. I want to shift now to what President Zelensky, something that's happening today in, obviously, Ukraine. President, president Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, addressed the Congress today via Zoom Congressman Meyer was involved in that. Let's hear what he had to say. You listen to Live with Rank. We'll be right back after that. 95.3 WBCK. The Department of Veterans Affairs is so innovative, it not only improves the lives of veterans, it transforms the lives of healthcare professionals who serve them with access to the latest technologies and remarkable benefits. Transform your future at vacareers.va.gov. When it comes to sepsis, watch for T, temperature, I, infection, M. Mental decline. E. Feeling extremely ill. If you suspect sepsis, remember, it's about time. Morning, noon, and night. Our news team keeps you informed. Lacey James, Brandon James, Brad Carpenter, and Alex Maddox. 95.3 WBCK. We are Battle Creek. You're listening to Live with Rank, and for that, I thank you. On air with us is Congressman Peter Meyer from Michigan's 3rd District. We were just discussing in uh, somewhat good, I think, quite deep detail for what we know today, uh, the closure or the recommendation for the closure of Battle Creek's Veteran Administration. We have to look at the data. He has to look at the data, as he said, and find out, you know, is it truly, I guess, better to move it to Wyoming um, although, how would we address the veterans' needs in the Battle Creek area? One one recommendation that was in the report, and you can get that link to the report from the piece I wrote about it yesterday, or published it yesterday, I think it was. Yes, I think it was yesterday. Well, anyway, <laughs> it is uh, opening up some type of care service, uh, outpatient care service here in the Kalamazoo area. Now, I'd like to move forward because just a little over an hour, hour and a half ago, President Zelensky addressed our Congress, President of the Ukraine. And obviously, we know that every minute that goes by, more innocent people are being killed. And as I've always told you guys, it's very easy. And that's why I chose that rush on closer to the heart. 
for your heart to tell you one thing, but we need to think with our mind. Because our heart is pulling us certainly one way. Mine is. But we need to think with our mind when it comes to, comes to us getting involved with a in a war with Russia. In a war with Russia with a guy who has nothing to lose. Putin. Because he's lost it all already unless he wins. His economy will be crushed eventually. I would assume even if China was to step in and help him. So let's find out what Congressman Meyer spoke to or heard from President Zelensky. Because I was on air and was unable to uh, hear it or see it. So again, welcome back to the Live with Rank show, Congressman Meyer. So what did he say? Now, President Zelensky made a very impassioned plea, um, you know, obviously thanking the United States for the support that we've been providing, especially the lethal aid, thanking and appreciative for the sanctions that we have levied against Russia to economically isolate and economically devastate the Russian elites, to put additional pressure for them to withdraw, to stop this unprovoked and, and illegal war of aggression against Ukraine. You know, he did make a call for a no-fly zone, um, and I'm happy to get into that. I know we've discussed that in the past, uh, but also said, and I think understanding the political difficulties and the re- reality challenges of the no-fly zone, you know, asking for additional uh, armaments to help close the skies. We've been providing those Stinger, you know, um, surface-to-air missiles, which are really only good up to about 10,000 feet. Um, you know, so higher-flying aircraft, you know, we're trying to provide uh, frankly, a lot of older Soviet weaponry that is functional to that range. Uh, and I think some of that just got you know disclosed in the media earlier today uh, to essentially give them a much better opportunity to close those skies uh, to shoot down both cruise missiles and Russian aircraft that are engaged in offensive operations. So, you know, that is where his you know, concerns were and, and where his request was. Um, but also just an opportunity for us to, to hear from President Zelensky directly, uh, which I had had the opportunity in the past to hear, uh, but, but have that you know show of support from the United States Congress and, and Senate as well. Where is the mood of the Congress right now that you can tell? What, what are they willing to do and not do? You know, I, I, honestly, this is one of the most bipartisan moments that I've seen. I would say 90 to 95 percent of Congress we're broadly on the same page in terms of supporting as severe sanctions as we can possibly lever, uh, providing humanitarian and defensive assistance. So providing that lethal aid um, while you know avoiding potential, uh, avoiding things that may trip into an escalation that could lead to direct confrontation between the U.S. and NATO and Russia. So that's concern around the no-fly zone. And you know, maybe a few members on either side are a bit more isolationist. They want us to be doing less or they don't think we should be involved at all. And then there may be a few a bit more interventionist. They want the no-fly zone. They want, you know, more aggressive behavior. Uh, but frankly, we're, you know, as a Congress speaking largely with one voice on this. Uh, now, we've had to drag the Biden administration, which, you know, has gone back and forth and flip-flopped on a couple of things from pro- helping with the transfer of MIGs from the Polish Air Force, you know, or when it comes to revoking the most favored nation status for Russia and Belarus, you know, or on the cutting off the importation of Russian oil and gas to the U.S., you know, we've had to kind of drag the administration uh, on those. But, you know, when it comes to Congress, we're largely speaking with one voice here. 
Where were you on the position that the Biden administration took on not allowing these planes to be transferred to Ramstein and then for the, I assume, Ukrainian pilots to be taking them back into the battle? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, they mostly cited logistical complications. I think if there was political will, we could have overcome those. Um, now, I'm... I think reasonable people can disagree on the relative tactical benefit to the Ukrainians of giving them those MiGs relative to the potential for it to escalate. I think it was a worthwhile thing to do. I know, you know some folks in the State Department agreed. Some folks in the Department of Defense you know, had greater concerns. So I don't agree with the decision that they made, but I, I understand some of the thought process behind it. But again, I think we just have not seen the political will or the willingness to lead from the front by the Biden administration, you know, whether it's in regards to NATO and the EU or, you know, just when it comes to interacting with Congress. They're not coming to us and saying, hey, we need your help to pass X, Y and Z. You know, we're having to go to them and say, hey, we want to do this and then eventually drag them kicking and screaming to where I think we need to be. And that's uh, frankly disappointing and frustrating. So it's really the Congress, both left and right, Democrats and Republicans, who are doing the leading when it comes to here, not the administration currently. You know, on especially when it comes to um, you know tougher sanctions, when it comes to things that may have some domestic impact, uh, the Biden administration has been very hesitant. Now, um, I think I've been told that part of their strategy was to lead from behind and to let EU and NATO kind of be the ones that are out front. Uh, either that could be a good strategy or that could be a justification for not doing anything. You know, it's very hard to know, you know, what, um, right. what, where the, where the energy and where the motivation was there. But, um, you know, I, again, I think when it comes to 90% of things, Congress and the White House are on the same page. When it comes to those last 10%, we're kind of having to drag them. Uh, to enact and invoke additional authorities and additional ways that we can put pressure on Vladimir Putin and support the Ukrainian people. I know your position is a no-fly zone right now. What short of a attack, an attack on our a NATO uh, country, is there anything short of that that you would flip that thought and then believe that we should have a no-fly zone or enforce a no-fly zone? You know, I think a red line that would be crossed, and I'll be honest, I don't know what the consequences would be, uh, would be if, if Vladimir Putin were to use, you know, a tactical nuclear weapon um, or, or some radiological device, if he were to engage in a chemical or biological attack, uh, you know, similar to what we saw in, in Syria. Uh, those are, those are you know, horrific outcomes, uh, and I'm not sure where we go from there. That would be a, a very clear change to the scope of this conflict. Uh, that would be just an unprecedented degree of escalation. So if we were to see that happening, you know, I think it is worth revising and, and reviewing what we are, what is our end goal? What is our, our ability to force an outcome that minimizes civilian fatalities? Uh, but this is this is just a very difficult thing to try to communicate in, in short terms. We need to be thinking through the full range of impacts and ramifications because anything that involves a, a war getting additional additionally violent and additionally chaotic um you know we we need to be very measured and very thoughtful uh, very firm but but make sure that we understand the consequences before undertaking any action so would you say most congress is where you're at concerning a no-fly zone not yet correct 
So do you, you know, there's think- some folks on the margin with humanitarian corridors. I, again, I don't know what that would mean in, in application. And I think it gets very convoluted. But when it comes to U.S. forces shooting down Russian aircraft, when it comes to U.S. forces bombing Russian you know, air radars and, and anti-air batteries, uh, that becomes a very different scenario. Now, I know this is just speculation, but then do you also think that the mood of Congress would be if they were to go to that next step, attack their nuke or chemical weapons or, or something like that, that could shift the mood of the Congress to actually then support a no-fly zone? I, I don't know if it would necessarily shift the mood of the Congress so much as just show that we are beyond precedent, and, and this is a, a very different conflict than um, you know, the, the horrific conflict that we've already seen, but that if Putin is going from being you know, murderous and genocidal using conventional weapons to amping up the, that uh, on a greater degree, you know, there is a greater chance for that to spill over into NATO countries. There's a greater chance for, uh, especially on the, the biological side, for this to cause you know, far greater damages that don't stay within borders. Um, you know, that just it changes the game. It changes the equation. And, and frankly, we'll probably have to change our response. Thank you very much for the time you gave us today, Congressman Meyer. I appreciate that. Thank you, Rank. You have a great day. Well, you just heard it. What are your thoughts? Two, six, nine, four, four, one, nine, five, nine, five. If they were to move to a tactical nuke or chemical weapons, then if you're against a no-fly zone today, would you be for a no-fly zone then? Or anything Congressman Meyer spoke about concerning the Battle Creek VA or this uh, Zelensky and what he said to the Congress. You're listening to the Live with Rank show, and we'll be right back after this. Live with rank. Thank you. I do appreciate the amount of time Congressman Meyer spent with us today. 269-441-9595. Lines are back open if you would like to opine about what he said or uh, or something else we talked about. Now, someone pointed out to me through the app, a station app. I do read these app chats when I remember and get a chance to that I mistakenly said that 51% of our gas here in the state of Michigan is taxed and meant to say, which he is right, 51 cents. So I took the 18 cents plus the 27.2. Actually, did I say 51? It wouldn't be 51. It would be the 18 plus the 27. That's what, 48 point something plus the 6%, which is per dollar and not per gallon. So it could be as high as 70 cents per gallon. So I do appreciate you pointing that out. I don't want to mix people up. And sometimes when you're rocking and rolling, uh, you uh, may say something that you don't necessarily mean. So those of you who are concerned about the Battle Creek Veterans Administration's Medical Center, it'll be years. We'll see how this rolls out. I guess is is the way to look at it. Everybody will have their chance to make a uh, a plea for theirs. But also, I am one I am a a former businessman and a person now who's driven by data. There are times when the heart 
can drive you, but most of the time data should drive you. So I was happy to hear Congressman Meyer say he's going to look at the data and see what it states, where would that best serve veterans. Now, I know many people want to serve their veterans best, but they're all our veterans. And at least in the state of Michigan, we wouldn't be losing one, but certainly one would be moving. Now, if people will be able to be taken care of in Kalamazoo, that's a much shorter drive than Wyoming, which is just south, I believe, of Grand Rapids, not far south of Grand Rapids. But if it's my understanding that most of the Battle Creek's uh, VA hospital is a psychiatric ward, someone told me that the other day. Maybe I should know that, but I don't. 269-441-9595 if you have a thought about what we're talking about today. I want to point out, and I try to point out, if I can, every day, the media and how how I believe, why I believe they are uh, the enemy of the people. So I saw headlines and articles in the papers, all the papers you hear me talk about here in Michigan, so, for instance, M Live writes, "You will die." Ohio woman accused of sending racist death threats to Michigan Democrats, and they're talking about Cynthia Johnson, a state rep out of Detroit, and Sarah Anthony, a Democrat out of Lansing. Detroit News: Ohio woman charged with leaving threatening racist voicemails for Michigan lawmakers. Okay. Now remember. It's for Cynthia Johnson, State Rep. Cynthia Johnson. Here is State Rep. Cynthia Johnson, just about, I can't, I think it was December of 2020. You ready? This is the same Cynthia Johnson that they're talking about here. And you will die. Ohio woman accused of sending racist death threats in Michigan Democrats. Two Michigan Democrats. Ohio woman charged with leaving threatening racist voicemail for Michigan lawmakers. Detroit News. The other one was MLI. This is the woman that said this about anyone who supports making America great again. Anyone who supports America. You ready? So this is just a warning to you Trumpers. Be careful. Walk lightly. We ain't playing with you. Enough of the shenanigans. Enough is enough. And for those of you who are soldiers, you know how to do it. Do it right. Be in order. Make them pay. I love y'all. Bye-bye. That's who we're talking about here. I looked and searched the best I could. I never saw anything published in M Live about those threats 
made by a sitting state representative. And then I found this. So the headline today about that woman, Ohio woman charged with leaving threatening racist voicemails for Michigan lawmakers, which Cynthia Johnson's one. They say Sarah Anthony is another. That's the Detroit News headline. For the headline concerning what you just heard, her telling the warriors they know what to do, take care of this. This is what the Detroit News headline was. Michigan House Republicans take Democrats' committee post after warning to Trumpers. And these people wonder why people that think like I do think the way we do. You heard her directly threat, threaten Republicans and people who want to make America great and people who care about America. You heard it. Well, I have not heard any of these threats that this Ohio woman, she may have, but I have not heard any of them. You just heard Cynthia Johnson. In fact, it was so bad, she was stripped of her committee assignments from the Democrats for a while. She told people, to go and do what they know to do. And the Detroit News headline is Michigan House Republicans take Democrats committee post after warning to Trumpers. Do these people not get it? I bet you they wouldn't get it. You listen to Live with Rank. We'll be right back after this. 95.3 WBCK. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Mr. Rogers said, look for the helpers. can always find people who are helping. Thank you to all the first responders who put their lives in danger to help us when my brothers and sisters need them. We look out for the helpers because they look out for us. Thank you, first responders. 
Help us help first responders in your community today. Go to firstrcf.org to learn more. The 95.3 WBCK Morning Show with Lacey and Brandon. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9 on WBCK and worldwide on the WBCK app. Strumming my pain with his fingers. Singing my life with his words. Killing me softly with his song. Killing me softly with his song. Telling my whole life with his words. Killing me softly. You're listening to Live with Rank. Yes, she speaks very soft, softly. Yes, enough of the shenanigans. Enough is enough. And for those of you who are soldiers, you know how to do it. Do it right. Be in order. Make them pay. Who is she talking to? People who love America. Trump supporters. Republicans. She told her supporters to do, quote, things right and in order, end quote. And the headline for the Detroit News on that is, oh, Michigan House Republicans take Democrats committee post after warning to Trumpers. Oh, so was this Ohio woman just warning Johnson and Anthony? I have no idea what she said. It may be horrible. It may be a threat. My point is, you see how they... They treat people and parties and ideology different. And they would say they don't. But do you think a Michigan state representative saying this warrants a little bit more than Michigan House Republican takes Democrats committee post after warning to Trumpers? Yeah, she just warned Trumpers to watch out. There's oh, watch out. Watch out. There's a rock in the street. Don't don't trip over it. And they the mean old Republicans took her seat away for warning them. So this is just a warning to you Trumpers. Be careful. Walk lightly. We ain't playing with you. Enough of the shenanigans. Enough is enough. And for those of you who are soldiers, you know how to do it. Do it right. Be in order. Make them pay. I love y'all. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah, that, that person can show love, right? Do you get it now? Do you guys in the middle get it? I'm hoping that when I keep showing these what I believe to be easy and blatant examples that you'll say they're right. They're right. All these years they've been right. Because this is what is insidious, the way that these newspapers do this. This is them trying to, I don't know what, are are they trying to Make us battle against each other? Are they trying to uh, create violence? What are they trying to do when they do this? It's like the Hunter Biden thing. 
State Department agrees to supply Hunter Biden emails to the New York Times. Well, let's first go with this. A longtime friend of former business partner of Hunter Biden was sentenced to just over a year in prison Monday, that was two weeks ago, for a fraudulent bond scheme aimed at swindling a Native American tribe as a separate federal investigation into Joe Biden's son's taxes and business dealings continue. Yeah. Not only did this guy, a longtime friend, Archer, this is the same guy who you've heard about with Burisma over in Ukraine and everywhere else. He was just sentenced to a year in jail. Just over a year. Because he was trying to scam a minority group, the American tribes. He's a rich little white boy or man. Privileged his whole life. And he's trying to scam a minority group, American Indians. You would think the papers would be all over this. Nah, I found it in the Washington Examiner. Yeah, you're not going to find it anywhere else. And then this, a lawyer for the New York Times said Friday, the newspaper reached an agreement with the State Department to supply correspondence mentioning Hunter Biden and others tied to his business dealings. Why now? Where were they when it mattered years ago? They weren't seeking anything then. And quite honestly, do you really believe the State Department's going to give them anything of worth when it comes to Hunter Biden's emails? And again, why isn't this being reported fairly and when it needed to be reported so we could all have faith in these institutions? I have faith in myself and in my wife and in my children when it comes to human beings. Does anybody have faith in any governmental organization at all? I I don't. I know police officers, I know sheriffs that I have faith in, but I'm talking about as a whole. Of course not. This weekend's episode of 60 Minutes included a segment on Pete Buttigieg. In the segment, CNN's Anderson Cooper described Buttigieg without evidence as a, quote, very skilled politician, end quote. Really? Did they not see how he destroyed or didn't destroy, but certainly didn't do well at all as a politician in South Bend, Indiana. And they said he's become, quote, the first openly gay cabinet secretary to be confirmed by Congress, end quote. Well, it's interesting because Richard Grinnell, a Republican, was the first openly gay cabinet member in United States history acting as Director of National Intelligence under President Trump and was confirmed by Congress in 2018 for the role of U.S. Ambassador to Germany. Yeah, they kind of forgot that one. And a whole slew of other ones. So they'll they'll bury, which if you're burying information, to me, that's a form of disinformation. Would you agree? There's more to this. But I've unfortunately run out of time for the day. I want to say thank you to former Speaker of the House, Jace Bolger, come on air to discuss with you guys more information concerning the terms limit issue or amendment he's behind. 
You can check it out at Radio On Demand on my Facebook page, excuse me, on my flagship page, WBCKFM.com. That's our podcast tool. You listen to Live with Rank, and I'll talk to you tomorrow at 9 a.m.